This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendo UI. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Views on View. My name is Chris Fritz from the ViewCore team. And today on our panel, we have Joe Eames, teacher and organizer of Framework Summit and gamer extraordinaire, which I think means he has some wicked high scores. <laughs> hey, everybody. Divya Sasidaran, Vue developer, contributor, and also now helping organize Framework Summit for the Vue stuff. Hello. And possibly more than the, just the Vue stuff. I'm, I'm not sure. We'll see. And then also Eric Hanchett, author of Vue.js in Action and YouTuber extraordinaire. We're very extraordinary today. I'm very extraordinary. Yep. Hey. And on his YouTube channel, he has a bunch of like educational videos about UJS and other development, right? Yep. For sure. Cool. And today our guests are Greg Pollock and Adam Jar. Hey, like guys, to glad to be here with you guys. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Would you two like to introduce yourselves? Uh, Greg, why don't you go first? Oh, well, sure. Um, I'm, uh, li I live here in Orlando, Florida with uh, Adam here. I'm really passionate about teaching online, being a father. I've got a 10 and 11 year old um, and also very passionate about um, self-awareness and leadership development and startups. Yep, I'm Adam Jar, and I teach alongside uh, full-time with Greg at View Mastery. So really our goal is to be the ultimate learning resource for Vue developers. We do that by releasing a lesson a week, and we also produce uh, educational, um, uh, we disseminate educational information through our newsletter and our podcast. Awesome. So you both like, founded Vue Mastery together, right? Like you've both been in it from yeah. the beginning. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to to get into the view space and start teaching people about view? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, definitely coming from code school, um, you know, we, we we did there really effectively is teach people to get started with lots of different technologies. But what I saw was um, other websites out there like LauraCast.com, RailsCast.com, where they were able to really go really deep and create these resource libraries that people were able to use as they could, and they were really useful. And I always was really curious about what it'd be like to create one of those, and what does it take to create something like that? Um, and also, I'm really passionate about open source. You know, I think, you know, at one point, I realized the best way for me to make an impact on a world on, on the world, whether it's, you know, finding a cure for cancer or getting the next person to Mars would be to identify the most impactful, innovative open source technologies and figure out what I can do to help them accelerate the adoption, get more developers using it, create more innovation in the world. And I love teaching. I love picking up a new tech and really teaching it well and watching it grow. And so, you know, I, you know, but probably six months ago, I took a look out there and look at different technologies, which ones are in that sweet spot where they're not yet to the mainstream. They're still in the early adoption phase. But, and there's kind of a lack of, you know, really good educational content there. And so, you know, we looked at all of them, Adam and I together looked at a bunch of different tech and we realized, well, maybe you seems like it's up and coming and it's still in the early adoption phase and we can come into this, uh, come into this community and start making an impact and helping uh, with adoption. And um, what the other thing that really excites me is I wanted to do it in a way 
that really supports the community, which is why we kind of had built in from the beginning of the business model that 25% of all revenue we make, not profit, 25% of all revenue we make, we're giving back to the Vue.js project itself. So when you, you know, pay us 19 bucks a month, we take 25% of that and every month give it back to the Vue project. Um, which is, you know, self-sustaining, which is really exciting to me. So the more successful we are, the more we support the tech, not only are we supporting it through educational things, but also monetarily with the help of our customers. Hey, Greg, do you see some parallels between, I know you were in, you, you created Rails for Zombies and Code School. And do you see some parallels between that community, like how early on that you started and giving educational material to that community compared to the Vue community and where they are now? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a lot, I got into it, you know, like just when Rails hit 1.0, it was still very early. And so um, I'm definitely seeing the community evolve in a lot of the same ways from conferences popping up here and there to more podcasts to more people teaching. I think it's all really good. Um, I love especially to see, you know, people like uh, like the other people on this uh, on this uh, podcast who also teach, you know, I think all that's needed. We need a huge, you know, community of teachers in order for this technology to really make it far into the mainstream and get even more popular. Um, so I'm excited to see all that happen, and I'm excited to be part of it. Fantastic. So hey, I've got a yeah, question. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. I kind of wanted to back up and just get a little bit more. Uh, Cold School is a, you know, it was is a very big deal. It was and continues to be extremely popular. I was kind of interested to just hear a little bit more of the story of code school and where it went and and just a little bit more into that yeah sure um it was about 10 years ago that i started uh, figuring out how to do consulting work and work as a consultant and build websites for other people using ruby on rails and through that you know i started the ruby uh, the was it was called uh, the Rails Envy podcast back in that time, where you know we basically did what we're doing now with the um, official View News podcast, where we curate the best stories. And I started from there. I started the blog, the podcast. Um, I started recording my conference talks, and really realized how much I really enjoyed um, teaching and helping developers. And my side effect of doing all that is I got more consulting work. And then it was years later that um, there was this website called Try Ruby where you could actually like code Ruby right there in the browser. This was before Codecademy, the same sort of idea where you're coding in the browser. And, uh, you know, one of my uh, coworkers just said, what would happen if we took the videos you enjoy producing, put it together with the interactivity that you saw from Try Ruby to create something that taught people Rails? And that became Rails for Zombies, which was just another one of those free projects that I did to help developers with the side effect of hopefully getting more consulting work. Um, but as soon as we put out Rails for Zombies, oh my goodness, we got so much traffic and I started getting even book publishers reaching out to me saying, Hey, can we, can we pay you to do another one of these? <laughs> and you know, when people try to pay you to do stuff, you should really start to pay attention. So we kind of sat back and goes, Whoa, maybe we have something here. Maybe we should create another one of these Rails for Zombies like courses and this time charge for it. Why don't we try that? And that really kind of became code school. We originally charged, you know, paid for courses one off and then eventually went on a recurring revenue model where people were paying, you know, $29 a month. Um, and it just really grew from there. A lot of the success came from a lot of the, uh, the partnerships that we would create. You know, we went to the Angular guys and we said, hey, can we create a free course for you guys? And we put it on the front page and they're like, yeah, let's do it. We went to GitHub and we said, hey, can we create a free course on Git and you guys can put it on the front page of Git? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. 
And so we had all these amazing free courses out there that um, really drove a lot of traffic. Code School grew from, you know, $10,000 in recurring revenue a month to, I think towards the end, it was up around um, maybe about four hundred to $500,000 a month. And uh, so we were about making about five or six million a year in run rate, which was great. About half of that was was profit. It was a pretty profitable business. But we got to a point when we we're up to about 45 people where we realized uh, we have a couple options. We can keep on growing slow and steady. We never did a hockey stick, as you might hear in the startup world. Um, so we could keep on growing slow and steady, and hopefully nobody comes along and outspends us and outcompetes with us. Um, hopefully the economy doesn't collapse. Hopefully, um, or, or, or so we keep it on slow and steady, or we can go raise investment. I had never, I've still never taken on any investment. Um, you know, we basically bootstrapped it out of the consultancy. So we had the consultancy we used money from that to build code school and it was code school was pretty quickly profitable, but that had only been, been because I'd spent the prior four or five years building an audience. Um, so that was pretty awesome how that worked. Um, so we could go raise money at that point, or we could potentially look for an acquisition. We didn't need an acquisition, but we decided, I got some good startup advice from somebody that said like, hey, if, if you ever want to look for an acquisition, do it right before you raise investment. And so I looked out there and met with some companies that I really admired. Some people who I said, oh, man, I'd love to work with them someday. And seeing, you know, learned a lot in that process. And eventually we ended up um, deciding to join the uh, Pluralsight team because we went to Pluralsight and we were just like blown away by how much they were like us. It was the same culture. They would basically said, you know, um, we'd be open to working with you guys, merging with you guys, but, you know, we want to keep on doing what we're doing the way we're doing it and taking care of our customers. And at the time they said, yeah, that's, that's great. We'll keep on doing it. And, um, it was pretty amazing how that whole thing worked and they were really good to work with. And I'm a big uh, proponent of giving people, uh, who work with you, um, equity, who put blood, sweat and tears into the work that you do. So, um, even though I didn't really have to, I had given away over half the company of the people who worked with me. So when we had that payout um, with Pluralsight, we ended up getting acquired for about $36 million. That was about two-thirds cash, one-third equity. I was able to give a meaningful amount of money to the people who put their blood, sweat, and tears into the project. And um, it felt really good. That was a lot. That is awesome. That was, a, that was such a cool story, though. Like, I have... I'm a Pluralsight author, right? I've been around with Pluralsight for a long time, and those are all, that's all stuff I had, I didn't know at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was great to join the Pluralsight team, and they really showed me, there was a lot of stuff they did about the acquisition process, which, like, just blew me away. Uh, right. I could go on about that stuff, but let me know what you're curious about, and I'll tell you more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I was actually with uh, Pluralsight out in the NASDAQ when they went public. Oh, nice. Yep. That's awesome. Hopefully you got yeah. some stock there, Joe. Uh, I did buy a few shares of stock. Unfortunately, authors didn't get like grants, so I had to pay for mine. But the stock has been doing fairly well, in fact. So I'm not unhappy about it. Yeah, that's but weird. I'm not like, it's not like it's buying me a car or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, yeah, so everybody was with Code Class and stock and course you know like the people who work there we can't do anything with it for 180 days that's kind of the way it works right but we're just we're just stoked that our make-believe money is no longer make-believe money right i'm sure yeah so 
now you're working on View Mastery, and you're but you're still producing mostly video content, right? Yeah, yeah, I love that, and that's what I love. I love taking these hard to learn subjects and figuring out, you know, the an effective way to teach them visually. That really uh, is what I love. Why? Why did you choose video? Um, out of curiosity, what, what are what are the strengths of video? Like, what are the things that you can do with video that you find you can't do with some other mediums, like you know, a blog post or you know, podcasts or writing a book? Oh, it's all about it. Well, I'm a very visual, maybe it's me. I'm just a very visual learner. Um, you know, it's, it's what I love about video, especially with the medium that we use in Keynote is I can use animations to teach things step-by-step. I can use visuals to create diagrams and I can use iconography. Um, I'm really enjoying right now how I can use iconography because if I show you a concept or even an algorithm, um, I can use an icon to represent that algorithm. And the next time you see that, I can just pop up that icon. We're visual creatures, right? So if I can use an icon to represent a pattern and then use that in multiple ways throughout my course, um, you don't have to think. You just sort of look at it and, under, and, and, and remember. Um, so I just, I, I just always loved it as a medium. It's such a wonderful challenge to just... And it's also about just showing the one piece of code that you're trying to learn. I can show you my entire, you know, code base. If I'm working on a big code base. I could show you a hundred lines of code and I could focus in on 10 of them. But if I can just show you full screen 10 of them and then, you know, more from page to page and add in code as I do it, um, I can get really focused um, on where I'm directing your attention. Um, so I just find it's, uh, it's, it's the way I like to teach and the way I like to learn too. Yeah, to piggyback off on that, it allows us to really guide uh, what people are seeing at a given time um, so that we're isolating what they're seeing so they're not distracted. And also, it's really about, so we're teaching these abstract concepts. Most of programming is quite abstract, and you're keeping ideas in your head and trying to keep them connected within your head. But the, with video and with animation, with you know the visuals and the icons, we make what it would just be entirely abstract and we make it more concrete. So it feels a little more uh, tangible and you, you have a little more to grasp onto. Yeah, I know with Code School, you you guys were very, I mean, all the videos were, were really well done. And I know that you also put in like badges and there was almost like a gamification maybe a little bit. Is that kind of an idea what you guys want to do with View Mastery eventually? Yeah, I mean, we kind of already have it already. We have some badges in there. Once you're able to complete the course, you're in the badge. Um, and it's, it's, it was always fascinating to me. I, I would run up on people to be like, gamification's crap. Nobody really cares about the badges or the points. And then I would go to conferences. And then I have people coming up to me at booths that are like, yeah, man, every time you guys come out with a course, you know, I have to take it because I have to get all the points um, because I have to stay ahead of all my teammates because I'm number one right now. I got to stay number one. Or you'd have the people that were like, I love your design. I love the badges. Every time you come out with a course, I got to collect them all because I got to have them all and just their beautiful design. Um, and so it was always uh, amazing. I would run into people. People are motivated by different things. And some people, all those gamification principles actually work. They motivate them to help them learn. Um, they don't work with everybody, but some people they work for. Yeah, it feels like that term was like big a few years ago, and now it's not used as much anymore. But I feel like it's still giving some sort of incentive for someone to come back to your site, to consume the content, 
and to get rewarded seems like a, a no brainer on, on a site like this, especially like a subscription site where you, um, it's software as a service. I think yours is a software as a service. Yes. $19 a month or 190 a year. You want people to keep coming back and to have a reason to, to come back. Yeah, exactly. And unlike code school, you know, a code school, we put out one course a month and it really like, I always wanted to get more weekly. And so we've kind of made a commitment at new mastery that we will always be putting out a new video a week, a new lesson a week. So that it's our goal that, you know, you habitually come back weekly for that learning on your journey to view mastery. Yeah. And I remember code school too. One, maybe slight criticism. People said it, it never, I mean, you did have some advanced courses, but there was a lot of like introductory courses for all the different topics, but with view mastery, you guys are, you can get really deep into the technical details, not just for beginners, maybe more intermediate and advanced topics too. I'm assuming. That's yeah. Plan. Yeah. We're hoping to get there. Definitely. Um, and you know, one of the disadvantages, especially it got, Man, the, the bigger code school got, the worse our customer lifetime value got, which is basically means, you know, people would come, they'd subscribe just for the intro course that they wanted, they'd unsubscribe. And we'd have a lot of people coming back for that. Um, and I think, you know, uh, that's why I think there's probably more value in, you know, creating a, a resource library, which is why I want to put out one video a week. So that hopefully, you know, a year or two now, we, you know, are... A, a very useful resource for developers when they need to learn how to do one-off things that they can look up our lesson and watch it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, this is Eric, I'm a content creator on YouTube. And I, when I put out videos, like the ones that get more and more, like the, the basic tutorials of how to get started and up and running do much better than here. Let me show you some advanced Vuex topic on how to set up the store and, and in this intricate detail, sometimes the bigger stuff does better, but um, the more general, videos do better, but I can assume that once you start having this library of, of, of content, um, it adds a lot more value. Yeah. That's where people stick around for longer. At least that's the theory. <laughs> your content is great, by the way. Um, I've watched uh, several of your things. You're a wonderful teacher. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I learned from your videos. <laughs> As have I. I've picked both of their brains about how they do some of the things that they do and uh, reviewing some of their content at the same time as like planning some of my talks has really forced me to up my game. <laughs> Learning how to use Magic Move and Keynote and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adam and Greg are both uh, really artists at that stuff. So Thank you. One of the things that like I find really helpful when I'm learning is... At the beginning of a video, I find it's really important to have some kind of jingle. <laughs> Here it is again. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, yeah, I was like, like coffee script. Yeah. You know, like that, that really helped me with code school. And I'm disappointed that I'm not seeing jingles on the View Mastery content. Um, uh, when are we going to get our jingle? Uh, once you complain loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> you, you heard it, people. Get on Twitter right now. Like, pause the podcast. <laughs> Think of That's, all the subscribers you're missing out on because of no jingle. <laughs> <laughs> Would you, you think so? You think they're like, yeah. I, know, I got nothing stuck in my head. There's no way I'm subscribing. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, I like View Mastery, but there's no jingle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, you know, like Netflix has like a skip intro button now. You know, you could do something similar. So like the people who like really love the jingle and need it, really needed to learn, like I feel like I do. Uh, <laughs> can have the jingle and the people who don't can just skip it and it's not a problem. 
I have reached the point in my life where I can live without the jingle. I feel like it was also nice because they it was themed. So like every Code School course had a theme to it, like Rails for Zombies. And I was like, what is Vue's theme? Like what is <laughs> what is the character or like thing associated with Vue? And that's like something I actually really enjoyed about the jingles, like the little like animation thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of catchy. It, it sticks in my head. Yeah. And then like I find myself humming it. And then I realize, oh, yeah, I should I should work on some more coffee script. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I I hear with um with code school, some people really really hated the jingles. Oh yeah, it's definitely a polarizing topic. Um, but I think the majority of people you know liked them. You know, my, my theory with that as well was um, when you sit down to passively watch something, whether it's a technical video or a TV show or your Netflixing, your your brain wants to be entertained, right? And so the moment you start entering into passive watching and entertaining, you, you want entertainment. And so I have a theory that if you start out entertaining, if you start out with an animation, if you start out with a jingle and you get that little smile on the side of your face, even if it's cheesy, you're still being entertained. So, you know, I, I never like, I've never, we've never tested this theory, but something tells me because you start that way and it's really animated and it's really jingles and it jives but then you're a little bit more patient with the rest of the video. You're a little more likely to watch more because you've been entertained, even if it's for 15 to 20 seconds. I actually do feel like that. Hmm. So maybe the key is to learn to juggle a little bit and you get like a 30 seconds. Hey, watch me juggle. And then let's learn. <laughs> I, yeah. 30 seconds of watching someone juggle, like three seconds and I'm out. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that would be the same kind of stimulation. <laughs> I think it's, you know how sometimes people start their podcasts with like the bloopers, like they screw up. I think even like yeah. I listen to up first from NPR to get the news and sometimes they start it with a screw up and it makes you laugh. It's probably the same theory. If you can make people laugh right away. They're more likely to really engage with your content. Right. Yeah. I noticed that too on a few podcasts, it's, it, especially the ones that are it, like coming out of more of the broadcasting world when they start doing podcasts and listening to a podcast from uh, the BBC and they do the same thing. And so it, it seems like, you know, it's coming from these more sophisticated places and it's really validating this idea of do something that really grabs uh, and is entertaining right there at the first. Yeah. Something else that I appreciate about View Mastery is that you're not just producing content, like you are trying to like build the community and, and give back to the community. You know, you already talked about, uh, you know, putting a portion of, the revenue aside to you know donate back to view mm -hmm. uh, you've also recorded the 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 viewconf videos for free mm -hmm. and you've also put out like other other videos you know updating people on you know various um you know news in the view community and you also work on the the view news podcast turning the view newsletter into yep. like a like a 5 minute like really short condensed uh weekly podcast yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, so going into this, you know, we were, we were planning on, you know, creating a, a free podcast anyways, right? So we were going to put that out there. And um, I don't know if it was you, Chris, that was like, or, you know, somebody, was it you who said, you should talk to Evan about this, you should talk to Damien about this. Because around the time that we were going to start a podcast, um, you know, Damien Doolish, who's uh, working, was working for Monorail. For Monorail, 
they were doing a newsletter as well. And Evan said, you know, it got us all on a call. And, you know, such a super smart guy where, you know, it's just very about, very about being collaborative with everybody. He's basically like, you know, wait, you know, we don't need, do we need people duplicating efforts? Is there any way that you guys could just all work together on one official podcast or one official newsletter instead of creating yet another one? And it was interesting because, you know, we were all gung-ho on creating our own. But then um, with that initiative, you know, we talked to Damien and realized, wait, wait, we don't, we don't really need to create our own. What if we can just help out with one and do that as a part of the sort of the core uh, team of you? And so, you know, so that's why we, how we kind of ended up doing it is helping Damien and Chris with the newsletter and then doing the sort of podcast version of it. So um, I think I've just really, the point being, I'm just really impressed with how collaborative um, Evan Yu um, and even the rest of the people on the Viewcore team are um, to just be so inviting and so encouraging for everybody to become contributors and, and uh, work together. Yeah, yeah, I did suggest you talk to Damien. And I remember at that time, you were already talking to him. Right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so we were talking to him. But that was all because of the, uh, the video too, you know, putting a video together on the front page, which is also kind of a fun story because, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I had this theory that if you create, um, video on a front, on the front page of these open source projects and allow people to watch a video explanation, my theory is they were more likely to adopt the technology. And so we started out, you know, months ago, well, like maybe six, seven months ago, um, I worked with Adam to create a video on Bulma. So on Bulma.io, you'll see a video with Adam. And we were able to prove there that indeed, if you put a video on the front page, the people who press play and watch that video stick around on the web page longer, visit more pages on the web page. So you might then go on to say they're more likely to adopt the technology. And so we kind of went to the same thing. We went to Evan, went to Chris and said, you know, hey, can we do this for you? Can we create a free a free video for the front page because we think it'll increase adoption and you know props to to you guys in the view team you know they, they kind of uh took a risk on us mm -hmm. gave us some of our their time you know we didn't you know we, we weren't charging for any of our time we put a lot of effort into that front page video and sure enough looking at analytics we were able to show that people who watch the video stay more engaged watch uh, visit more pages on the website and you know are more likely to become view developers yeah, I didn't feel like it was too much of a risk. I mean, I, I was already familiar with your content and was was pretty satisfied that the quality would be high of whatever we produced. So I appreciate that. I just wanted to use uh, science. I wanted to be able to say, because science. <laughs> because science, yeah. No, I, I've heard from a lot of people that they they have enjoyed the video and that they, they watched the video first and it, it was a really good introduction for them and gave them a good launching off point to start diving into the docs and learning. Awesome. That's great to hear. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price to performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do slash co slash views on view. So 
you're doing a lot of things with community building. And I've talked to you a little bit privately about community building and like things you've seen in other communities, because you obviously isn't the first the first dev community that you've been a part of. And also within, you know, smaller communities, like within teams and workplaces, like one of the things that you've talked a lot about is fears that people have and like communicating about your fears. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, I think I still have it pinned to the top of my Twitter feed. Um, I have up there, um, a five minute video of the biggest screw up of my career. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll see kind of my passion for organizational psychology because certainly, um, you know, as I started building my consultancy, one of the things I really cared about was creating the most effective environment for software developers and, and that, like a work. I love creating spaces and work environments where people don't have to be afraid of speaking up. They don't feel like they have a boss looking over their shoulder. They can be their authentic selves and they can communicate effectively and um, yeah, be their best selves. And I learned, you know, a few years ago, there's this term for that. It's called organizational psychology. And I've done a lot of um, research on that. And I've even learned how to teach a, a workshop um, on that called the human element, um, which I lead people through sometimes about twice a year, um, which really cuts to the core of um, figuring out what's in the way of people really communicating effectively um, and wasting less time at work, being more direct, being more authentic, figuring out what your fears are, what's preventing you from um, being open. Um, and, uh, and I love that. I mean, I've got this, um, man, I've got this picture up on my wall and it's a, the kind of the last group photo that I got from the team at Code School. And inside of that, when I have a bad day, when I still have, you know, I still have bad days where things go wrong or they don't go as well as I think they can, or, you know, I, I get rejected by somebody, um, or, uh, <laughs> or the website breaks down <laughs> or customers tell me that, uh, they'll never subscribe because it's, you know, or for some reason or another, um, I've got this picture of the jingles. <laughs> yeah. I got the jingles. We got this picture of the wall and inside this picture is like, uh, are these thank you notes from people who, who worked at code school. And it's probably the most meaningful thing that I, when I'm having a bad day that I can look at. And when I can see that, yeah, and when they, I see these notes say things like, you know, I never thought I'd be able to be myself in a work environment or, you know, until I, you know, worked at code school, I worked with you with the stuff that we did. I never thought that I'd be able to be myself. And, um, and you changed my life. And when I can, when I get that from an individual and it's authentic, I mean, there's no better feeling. There's no better feeling than knowing that you were able to make someone feel safe and do what they love. And that really empowers me. Yeah, that, that sounds powerful. Are there any like lessons that you think open source teams and communities can, can learn from that? Or is that something that more applies to workplace uh, teams? Hmm. Um, well, you know, so much of it comes from when it comes to open source tech, you know, and I definitely saw this in the community with uh, Ruby on Rails with someone like David Einemeyer Hansen. Um, so much of the behavior about what's acceptable and what's not comes down from the top. And, you know, about two weeks ago, I was in New York. I was lucky enough to spend some time with Evan Yu. We did a live webcast. That video, by the way, is up on, is, is up on our YouTube channel. We just did a free live webcast where it was just me and him. Um, talking about what's new in view and answering some questions. And 
he is just the most humble, growth-minded guy, just normal programmer who is very altruistic, very optimistic. And, um, you know, more importantly, he knows when to say yes and when to say no. Because it's so easy, you know, when you're in that position that he's in, where I'm sure everybody wants a piece of him, everybody wants his time. It's so important that he's able to stay focused and he's able to run the community with grace and kindness and empower the people around him to work effectively. And I've been so impressed with how he's been able to do that, which just makes me more excited that, uh, that I get to be a part of the community with him. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said by sort of leading by example and making sure the community is inclusive. And uh, it can be difficult when you're working, you know, uh, you know, a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand miles away, and you don't see someone face to face to really uh, not get discouraged when, let's say, you put in a pull request and it gets rejected. That can easily make you turn away from a community. But um, having, uh, you know, having this vibrant community where everybody is friendly and everybody, you know, sort of leads by example um, is probably one of the most powerful things that can happen. Um, it's also important that it's very accessible. And, um, you know, I think a large part of that um, is really you, Chris. And I hope you take credit for that because I really feel like, you know, probably that so much of it just comes down to keeping things accessible. And when people come into the community and they start reading the docs, they're also impressed. I've heard that over and over again. Right? The view docs are impressive. And I want to bet that like a huge part of that is what you created, you know, when you started on the team, what you wrote, how you made it accessible, and then how you led by example to let other people's help, other people help. So I think you're probably a, a big part as well of this as to why you is, is uh, getting as popular as it is. Oh, well, Thank you. Yeah, obviously, I, I'm not the only person who works in the docs. Uh, you know, we have something like like 345 contributors now. Uh, it's yeah, so many people. So many people have helped make it what it is and continue to help improve it. You can deflect. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I definitely, I definitely have appreciated working with Evan, and I appreciate that. Even when like we disagree on something, he's always been willing to explain why. Yeah. You know, it's never just like, shut up, Chris, this is what we're doing. <laughs> and and sometimes we do disagree, especially around, you know, features and stuff like that. And almost always, you know, we end up uh, agreeing in the end. And there are some rare occasions where I don't agree with the decision that Evan makes. And 80% of the time, when I disagree with him, even after our discussion, I find out later, like months later sometimes, like, oh, yeah, I kind of, I see, I see what he was thinking now. Like, that was a good decision. So I, I think we're in really good hands in, in a lot of ways, like culturally and uh, just the, the, the insight he has for building, building tools, like building teams. Mm -hmm. It's, that's been really amazing. And I continue to learn a lot from him and, and a lot of other people on the team as well. I, yeah, I'm just really impressed. Like, as the docs, like I have to ask people questions all the time because I am usually not the, the content expert. 
like the best content expert for every individual thing. And so I have to pick people's brains and people are always willing to, to answer questions and, you know, come up with like demos to help me understand something. It's been really, really great, especially since most people are doing that in their free time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's powerful. So in terms of fears in the community, have you, have you seen other communities kind of destroyed by fear where, you know, people aren't afraid to, or are afraid to, you know, admit that they've made mistakes or admit that they don't know something. And if so, like, do you have any suggestions, like concrete suggestions for how like in the view community and people outside the view community can perhaps build the kind of culture that they want to be a part of? Well, I know, I know I sometimes can fall into the, um, the competition trap, um, which basically means like, you know, I might, you know, create a library to help view, but somebody else created another library and now we're sort of competing against each other. And now that's just sort of creates this atmosphere of competition or even in the education space, there's, you know, other people creating educational stuff with you. And I might feel like, oh, you know, they're doing this and look what they did and they're trying to compete with me. But I try my best to try to stay out of that space because that's a space built of fear. When in reality, you know, there's enough space for all of us. Like the educational space for you is still quite empty when you look at it compared to like a community of like Java programmers. The space for open source libraries that people can use with you is also quite empty when you look at how many libraries are out there for, for, you know, Java projects, people need variety. They need options and that's, what's going to help them succeed because, you know, each option is going to be slightly different. And when I look at educational resources, it's sort of the same way. Um, you know, I, when you go to learn a technology, you don't pick up one book and then you're an expert. You pick up multiple books. You're going to use multiple ways of learning. People are going to have subscriptions to multiple different ways, you know, of learning view because they each teach differently and they each have different topics, right? So I just don't want anyone to be discouraged when they feel like they want to create something, you know, um, there needs to be a library for view that does X or someone needs to write a blog blog post that does X. Oh, but somebody's already done that. I'd like for them to sort of take a step back and go, but just because somebody's done that doesn't necessarily mean I shouldn't because a thriving community is one that there is tons of content out there, tons of blog posts, tons of podcasts, tons of educational resources. Um, obviously, you know, you can take a step back and go, well, I could create my own, or maybe I can contribute to the existing one to add that feature I needed. And sure, you know, see if you can contribute to that other one before you create your own, but don't be discouraged from creating your own. Um, because there's so much room and there's so much growth for this community to, to yet have, um, and so much opportunity for everyone. So that, that kind of, that's an interesting point. So there's a lot, I mean, we're, we're still in the beginning stages. There's, there's not a ton of education out there. I mean, we have great resources like the document, the view mastery, which is talking about the official documentation, of course, that that's great, but there is more out there. I mean, there's more to be done and there's, there's definitely gaps in the knowledge and, and things like that. Now, as a person that's created products, Greg, and you've, you've 
launched them and got them out there. And I've heard from just listening to this podcast that you've done things like contacted the the core contributors and 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 got your videos on different places. I mean, how how do you if you're going to create content? I mean, the worst the worst thing is you create content and no one sees it. Like, how do we become, especially as developers, better at self promotion? How how do we get our our cool new view blog post we, that we just wrote or a new plugin? How do we get more people to find out about it? That's a good question. Um, so the easiest thing you can do is you know self promotion. Besides tweeting about it and telling all your friends and going on to the um, view discourse, um, that's kind of why we have the view newsletter and view podcast. If you go to news.vjs.org, there's a place where you can submit your news. And that gets onto our mailing list, which gets sent out to almost 10,000 view developers. And every week we produce the view podcast where we basically um, take what is on those news and we, Adam and I, you know, discuss it. So this is something that, you know, the podcast is hopefully something you, it's just five to seven minutes that you can listen to, um, you know, on your commute or when you're mowing your lawn or washing your cat or doing the dishes, whatever you're, whatever you're doing, you can just listen to it, you know, five to eight minutes a week and you get uh, made aware of some of the newest libraries and blog posts in the community. So, you know, I always used to say like creating content is like 50% creation and 50% promotion, right? So when I create content, it's like, okay, I need to be spending probably 50% of my time figuring out how to get the word out. It's not good enough just to create it. The same thing with like open source libraries. It's not good enough just to create it. You got to take the time to get it out there. And don't just submit it to the to View News. Submit it to all the other places. Make sure, you know, Anthony Gore can put it in his View JS developers newsletter. Make sure that you put it on the other JavaScript newsletters. See if they'll cover it. Like take the time to get the word out about your content. And you're you're just by doing that, you're helping the community because you're just spreading the knowledge. That's very cool. I know that I, I've talked to Anthony before and uh, I was going to promote something on his course. And I know he has, there, I guess there's a difference between you created this cool thing and then you want to promote it, like advertise it on his newsletter. I know there's differences. Is there a difference there if you have, if you want to actually advertise versus it's just news that you want to get out there? I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, as sort of the official view newsletter, you know, we shy away from, we've got some rules as to like, you know, what we can't cover and what we can't. So if you basically have a, um, you know, a, a service that you create for developers and you have to pay for it to use it and you just want to promote that, then, then, then you should sponsor it. You should, you know, pay some money to the UGS project and then we will put you as a sponsored slot. But if you've got content that, is you know free knowledge that you're not charging for, then we'll cover it, and we'll even cover stuff where it's a blog post or tutorial on how to use a a commercial service, as long as it has a, a pretty healthy you know like free uh, free level, right? As long as you can start using it for free. Like I think you know we covered what was it when what was it Netlify or something like that covered like Netlify, yeah, I think it was called on the podcast this week. And that's just because, you know, you can use it and it has a pretty good uh, free tier. So as long as you're not, you know, as long as you don't submit your, you know, paid Udemy course as something you want us to cover, <laughs> right, then that, then, then that's fine. As long as it's ed free education, right? So another good example of this is like on dmastery.com, right? We have paid lessons and we have free lessons. And last week, you know, I took one of my paid lessons and I made it free. 
so that anybody, even without logging in, can consume the content. And that made it so that we were able to promote it in the official newsletter because you don't have to log in, you don't have to do nothing. You can just get value simply from reading without having to sign up. Um, so that's sort of the barrier of entry. Um, and yeah, you can even just submit a library. You know, if you, if you want, obviously, if you want people, if you create a library <laughs> and you want people to engage, you should probably also write a, a tutorial to get people up and running to get started. But even if you don't want to write that tutorial, you can still submit it as a library because we have a library section in the newsletter where we just put libraries in there that might not have a great tutorial, but still need to get the word out. That's interesting. Yeah. I know. By the way, whoever is behind the marketing department of Nellify, I'd like to talk to because I hear about them everywhere and all these different podcast podcasts that they they're like on syntax.fm. They promote them and now yeah, I'm hearing them everywhere. Anyways, well, they, well D- Divya might know she works at Netlify. Yeah, oh, that's true. Exactly. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, and so it's a, it's marketing strategy is interesting because basically the reason they got on the podcast was somebody wrote a tutorial showing how to. Um, create ViewPress on Netlify with a CMS and an authorization system and looking at their free, you know, and so it was a tutorial about how to set that up. And it was really clear to me that you could set that up and use that and you might not ever need to get past the free tier. So there's really like no reason not to plug it. It could be really useful. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Yeah. And it's great service for everything I've heard. Um, of course. Very cool. Yeah. I, so I think that's the, the this, what people sometimes get scared of who have these communities is that the marketers and the spammers are going to come in and just spam stuff that they want you to, to, to do. But obviously you have curation and checking and make sure that this really makes sense. And then the differentiation between people are selling a product versus they just want to get something out from what they're, they're doing. I think that's smart. Yeah. And every community has some of that, you know, not everybody is trying to give back to the community quite as much, you know, that some people seem to more be trying to cash in. Mm-hmm. which is yeah a little discouraging as somebody who doesn't like to be sold to but it's also encouraging as somebody who you know wants to see open source develop or development thrive you know you kind of have to have the commercial enterprise to support a thriving ecosystem so it's like a double-sided uh, sword there you know yeah i think people who don't understand open source don't realize you can make money off of open source not just people donating their time I mean, there's a lot of other benefits. And of course, when people create businesses around it or create education, I think that's a, a great a, a great thing to do because